Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The main team. Mega Bears fan. Well, welcome to Polycast episode 346. I had to look at the note. <laughs> Uh, where we now have 100% less technical difficulties, like sometimes. We have co-host difficulties sometimes, though. I mean, but that's because we're human and not AI. Speak for yourself. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, future robot overlord. Uh, with me as usual. Uh, well, that was Phil, a.k.a. <laughs> me and team. Uh, Mega Bears fan. I remembered my push-to-talk button this time. <laughs> and Canis Albinus. So apparently if you if you put something on the clipboard and then paste it and then copy something else, it erases the first thing on the clipboard. Today I learned things I learned 25 years ago. Again. <laughs> Today I relearned these little quirks of Windows all over again. Not just Windows that does that. I think it's every operating mm-hmm. system with a GUI. I know Mac does it too. I'll show you GUI. It's a little early for that. That's true. Okay, so we got a new patch that still, despite our very best efforts at, you know, not screwing up everything and getting it positively released on schedule, it still was released the day before the episode was, you know. Well, this is closer, at least. At least it's not after we record the episode. Yeah, it's getting better, I guess. But, oh, getting frustrating. Uh Uh-oh. Well, once we move to our daily format, we'll be able to catch these things with appropriate <laughs> timing. Uh, speak for yourself. <laughs> Something like that. All right, do you know what? We're not streaming it today because it's not working. We are going to go on with the recorded version only, and I will make the the streamed version available later. Is that okay with everybody? Yep. Good, because Fine, it's going to be me... that way whether you like it or not. Ha 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 ha. Okay, okay. thanks, over. Okay. We have the new patch. The new patch was released September, the day after our episode was recorded, the Tuesday after. Again, even though our episode was released the following Wednesday, so we missed it by one dang day. (sighs) Anyway, we went through a lot of this stuff earlier, like last episode. We got some new stuff, like with maps. There's, we found out that we have... The splinter did we have the splinter the splintered fractal and the continents and islands maps revealed last time? I believe so. Okay. The first three definitely yeah. I don't remember if we talked about splintered fractal or not, but the other ones we did all t- talk about, so And the one there was one thing that they did do that we didn't talk about, and that was that the lakes map, the seven seas map, and the small continents maps are now moved to all rule sets instead of just the gathering storm only rule set. So you can play those maps on the base game rule set now, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a brand new agenda, which can be brought up by leaders. The exploitative agenda. They care about how many tiles are improved. So top-down forests, I guess, they like you. So it's the opposite of the environmentalist version. 
They also bumped up the threshold for sparsely improved to uh, better deal with that guy. I assume that's one of those things that can be... That's one of the, the side abilities that shows up everywhere. Uh, wouldn't making lumber mills be more work builder efficient to make them happy than chopping them? I think that would work. Not that you'd want to go out of your way to that extent, but yeah, something. And we went through all the generals. Uh, we went through all the... We went through the Mausoleum of Holocarnassus. We went through all these boat achievement stuff. More districts for reefs. Water luxuries on splinter, Splintered Fractal. Thank you. That would be very helpful. Reefs are no longer placed adjacent to rivers. Uh, we updated the river ba- the the promotions for rock bands. Nobel Prize had the Nobel Prize in physics got some bonuses to it because it was apparently lackluster. Extra accumulation of resources with universities and research labs. And a tech boost. Protectorate wars no longer trigger tra- betrayal emergencies. Thank you. That was really weird that they would do that. Hey, uh, we've been allies for like 40 years, but you just decided to attack my city-state. Now I'm going to protect them. Oops, betrayal emergency. The whole world hates you. If anything, the betrayal should go the other way. Like, oh, hey, we were allies all that time, and then you declared war on my city-state. You are the betrayer. Yeah, you'd think that's how it would go. Give me just a second. Okay, apparently uh, people don't know how to take money out of a wallet. Um, <laughs> well, the the street fair is on, and I told him to go get me lunch, and he, you know, didn't want to see me, apparently. Your age. You know. Anyway, assigned unit modifiers have been converted to unit abilities so they can be tracked in the UI. That's nice, actually. I think what that means, I think that means things like, I want to say that's the, the, the unit modifiers associated with Oh, I'm I'm all my frazzled. Guess, okay. My guess would be that they're talking about things like experience buffs, like from the barracks and things yeah, like that. That's what I was trying to say. I'm I'm babbling like a freaking idiot. Yeah, because previously, if you'd built units with the barracks buff or anything with bonus XP like that, you you wouldn't know. Like you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between your units that had that or didn't have that, other than that they were leveling up more quickly. Unless you like specifically labeled them as such when you got that second promotion and you remembered still which unit was which. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess you could manually rename. Yeah, er- <laughs> to cover early- for that. Yeah, early in the game, I I got into the habit of um, <clears throat> if I did remember, I would put like an asterisk in their name or something. I got the chance to rename them, but eventually, I just stopped bothering with the rename altogether. So I don't I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Reduced likelihood of damage effects from hurricanes by a third. I know a few people who that will be happy will make people that will. I know a few people for whom that will be an improvement. <laughs> After reading through that thread, that's like a marginal gesture. I mean, it's better than not doing it, but it doesn't fix the underlying problems with hurricanes at all. Have you seen the Bahamas and have you seen uh, Panama Beach? We're not working with uh, reality and so I know. just pointing that out. I know, I just where... feel like it's kind of bad taste to say that kind of stuff at this particular time in history, but, you know, that's just me. It, it, it's a bad gameplay interaction, though, and the way Civ would have it is that the Bahamas will still be, like, crippled 80 years from now, and sorry, but no. <laughs> it's, that's probably it's true. As bad as it was. And not only that, in Civ, because you have so few cities relative to reality, I mean, if you compare, like, the United States or even, like, France to... The number of cities they have in reality and then compare that in Civ, each city has to represent multiple cities in effect. Yeah. So now now we're having a hurricane like destroy the entirety of Florida or something for eighty years. I'd say even more than that, the entire eastern seaboard. 
That's true. On smaller maps, it would be that equivalent. Getting hit by a hurricane would be like getting your entire eastern seaboard hit. So, like, yeah, all of eastern U.S. or all of eastern China, just with every single city, gets annihilated by one hurricane. And oh my we're, gosh. <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of like that in effect, in the in the relative effect it has in Civ versus reality. So I don't think you can make a strong realism case for hurricanes. Yeah. That's just me. I would agree. Also, you're crackling just a little bit, Phil. Can you look into that real quick while we keep doing this? Um, possibly, yeah. Let me... On the front-end UI improvements, we have additional content added as a submenu to the main en- menu at the very start of the game. That way, the mods, Hall of Fame, and credits are not all there on the main menu. Because 8 items is enough and 10 is too much. New map type uh, AI or UI for... When you start a new game, you get a better visualization, so you don't have to get the you don't have to go into advanced setup every time if you want a special map. Single player jersey support, something people have wanted for a long time. Leader list leader list is now alphabetical instead of grouped by release. I don't know why they don't just allow you to sort it based on what you want to sort it by. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say too. Yeah, little sort button right there. I mean all we need I wanna be able to sort by nation. I want to be able to sort by leader. I want to be able to sort by gender of leader. I want to be able to sort by number of clothing items worn by the leader. I want to be able to sort by number of nations this leader conquered, etc., etc., etc. But that's I just would also me. I would also like to be able to sort by or filter out uh, like sieves that I've already played as and or like beaten the game with. So that, uh, you know, I get new sieves at the top of the list. And even for, like, selecting random sieves, it would be kind of nice if you could filter out, you know, certain sieves or sieves that you've already won the game with. So that when you just go random, you get someone new. Yeah, does it just add a little tag that says uh, leader victory equals true or something. Yeah, it, just, it, it yeah. could just check your achievements. Because there's an achievement for winning with each leader. So if you have the leader, so if you have that achievement, boom, sort that guy out for now. We've got the the Hall of Fame now, too. Yeah, I would say the Hall of Fame would be the easier way to do that. It's probably more complicated for the in-game to, like, check the Steam achievements. And you also run into issues where, like, if you get a bug or something and the uh, Steam achievement doesn't pop or, you know, it doesn't get synced between different computers Hmm. or something like that. There's a lot of ways that that could go wrong. The issue with Steam achievement is if you're going to do it that way, that means you have to be online at all times. And you don't want that. Because in order for it to check the achievements, it has to connect to the server at Steam. So yeah, add a confirmation dialog for when you are going to remove a settler by settling or a feature by settling. Uh, I've never had an issue with that, but I can understand why it would be useful. Does that include forests and rainforests? Because if so, that might be annoying. I Probably. think this is just for when you're doing it on top of a luxury or a other type of resource, like a bonus resource. Yeah, I think it's fine regardless. You're only like manually settling like max 20 cities in most games and usually nowhere near that. So having a prompt for that wouldn't be that big of a deal. At the very least, it's nice like the game actually tells you which uh, things are going to get destroyed by the settler and which ones aren't. Because I I think strategics and luxuries stay there and actually do provide yield bonuses to the city. So I think it's only the bonus resources that get obliterated if you settle on top. Yes. Yeah, and in previous sibs, that didn't used to be the case. Um, you could settle on things that would provide yield boosts and get some of the yield boosts. 
Right. I, I've always been afraid to settle on top of resources in uh, in Civ Six because I just you know I didn't know. You don't know until you try it. And if you've played previous games where it would remove the resource and oh sorry now you don't have that resource at all. Uh, I just didn't even want to risk it. Yeah. Yeah. No, Civ Four only removed things like forests and resources themselves would stay, but the, well, the rules Civ- for that have been a little loose since then. Civ Four didn't have bonus resources, did they? No. Well, well, sort of, no, kind no, of. They were they had health resources, which were otherwise functioned like bonus resources, but it had the health mechanic. So that yeah, that was an extra addition to that. Pantheon chooser got some polish added to it. The selected pantheon is now cleared by clicking the bottom, the clicking the button on the top panel. So when you click on the button, you're no longer automatically selecting this thing. I guess some slide animations are added to the UI. Adjusted button working slash style to match other chooser screens. I don't know why they wouldn't have done that to begin with. I mean, don't repeat yourself is kind of the programming mantra. And yeah, probably different people or different teams working on it. Religion keybinding will now properly open-close the Pantheon chooser. This is the part where Phil says, yeah, yeah, keybind, but I guess he's not inclined to do that today. <laughs> they added some hard. pagination for the gossip report. They added a hotkey for the power lens. The government screen policy cards are icons will now squash together if they overflow the government card to avoid overlap. Always improve it. Always useful. Yeah, it's nice to be able to see what you're doing. In the AI tab, we now have ability, we have uh, improvements to the ability of GDRs to take cities. It doesn't look like there's any specifics on what the heck that means, but right underneath that we have... Allow units to move out of threatened areas when endangered, even on neutral territory. This manifested as AI units staying still and fortified while being attacked by ranged or error until they were dead. Oh, hmm. Okay. Shot them in the head until they were dead. Some bias adjustments to improve attacks on enemy cities. Improved range bombard garrisoning. Garrisoning. That is a really hard word to say when you're tongue-tied. And improve melee garrison logic to attack when it is safe. Do not try to assemble city attacks for target cities that have unclear or hidden path. Improve ability to protect embarked units. All things that we really needed the tactical AI to know how to do. I'll hedge this, I'll believe it when I see it, but it's it's good to see that they're trying to make it better with these things. Yeah, are, are they going to protect embarked units, or are they just not going to unnecessarily embark and disembark and re-embark their units the way they are? <laughs> oh, God. In the water, out of the water, in the water, out of the water, in the water, out of the water. Wait, can you stay in the water so I can kill you? Thanks. <laughs> I haven't seen that as much in Civ Six as I did in Civ Five. But I also I, don't I think play. it was worse than Beyond Earth, but maybe it was pretty bad in Civ Five too. <laughs> well, in Beyond Earth, there wasn't as much line between land and sea. Because you could embark all the stuff immediately, so... <laughs> yeah, and, and I there certainly were, did so. Yeah. And there were several <laughs> unit lines that were, like, specifically amphibious and weren't penalized for doing so. Yeah, well, I would be... I would be less critical of them putting things that don't get a penalty in the water in the water than I would be of them putting things that, like, effective strength more than have. But, yeah, it's true. For the World Congress... The AI will no longer always choice the B option of faith for mercenary companies... I don't know why they did that in the first place, but okay. I guess the the bias toward religion was a big problem for them. Normalize evaluation of emergency process projects because send aid was especially overvalued. Favor trades in... Or, okay. Favor trades for deals or 
This one is really weirdly written. Adjust some flavor trade values to make deals more valuable. So I guess diplomatic favor is now considered more valuable in deals. Did we need that? Yeah, wasn't or, it already really I was going to say, maybe it's the other way around. They toned it down just a little bit because, here, get, I'll give you these things for your 12 diplomatic. And it's like, uh, okay. Yeah, I've had times where I could... says viable. I think that the uh, amount the AI had valued favor just made those deals ridiculous. Yeah, I remember just going around to all the AIs and being like, here's one diplomatic favor. Give me like 50 or 100 gold. And they would do it. They're like, sure. Woo, diplomatic favor. Yeah. In all Which, uh, versions of normally the, would not be a viable deal, but the AI will make it. In all versions of the game, rework how the AI rearranges and places great works to mas- ma- na- ma- maximize culture gener- gener- generation. Corrected oh, an so issue but- that could cause them to throw away a great work. Throw away a great work. I guess this is so they will do what we do and try to do the themed type of thing instead of just willy nilly sticking whatever great work in whatever slot that it fits in. I don't know, because it said culture generation, not tourism ger- generation, right? So maybe they're actually talking about, like, putting them in cities that actually need more culture? They you know, they give the same amount of culture and tourism, whether they're... Like, if you if you theme them, they get better on both fronts, so fixing one fixes the other. Oh, yeah, good point. It all culture tech better, too. Yeah. Yep. Ensure that the AI knows how to find rally points on the map. It's been three years. Why do they not know how to do this yet? Try to improve a culture sieve's race for theater squares. I'm sure that the culture sieves will appreciate that because it's always fun to see a, a sieve a sieve based on culture like France not build any theater squares. I, I think they need more encampments. I think every sieve just needs to have encampments carpeted everywhere because that makes the game more fun. Well, I think they do most of the time, don't they? I, yeah, I was being sarcastic. I, I know. I'm calling you out on your sarcasm because it's yeah. funny. Yeah, they, they tend to do that yes significant optimization and improvements for the volcano visual effects didn't we have somebody who was having trouble with crashing when a volcano erupted don't recall i feel like that was a thing that happened on turncast one year one week oh i might not have around after that one oh. yeah, I, was, I was going it sounds familiar but i could not tell you who it was and when either way blanket additional graphics performance improvements and reduced memory usage and performance optimizations for both shaka and mansa musa are you assuming the leader portraits? I think so. Either that yeah, or... That's, that's what I'm thinking, because sometimes the... You wouldn't think that the, the leader animations would use so much graphics, but they actually do. I mean, that's the first... That's the, when I've had to play strictly from the laptop, the first thing to put is put those guys on still, and I get much better performance. It's strange, but... Yeah, and I can't imagine they'd be referring to anything else, because otherwise, why would it just be those two specific saves? They it have, could like, be like units that are, that are weird or something with it, but yeah, that's probably the portrait. It could be. Uh, don't like the units have different graphics depending on like the the culture region that they come from. So it could I be. Yes, like but that would be pretty impressive if they were like so out of the ordinary that they had to be specifically addressed. I was gonna say if it, yeah. if those two would share would share with um, Congo based on yeah, based on so. previous civs, they would go by continent culture, and that would fall into the sub-Saharan Africa group. Okay, so we have the production overflow bug fixed again. Um, Let's hope they do better than BTS. This is an opportunity. They added the concept of salvage to the build queue. Previously, when salvaging production of a lost wonder build, the production would be directly added back into the build queue. 
and this caused problems of not knowing where the extra overflow came from as well as causing build production to happen when the player's turn was not active. I.e., player in A and B are building the same wonder. Player A takes their turn and player B takes their turn and finishes the wonder. The salvage production would be added to player A's build queue immediately, possibly causing something to complete if the player had multiple things in their build queue. Now, when the production sal- uh, thou- now, when the salvage production is given to player A, it is stored and then applied to player A's production overflow when the player A's turn becomes active again. This also fixes the issue of losing legitimate overflow when we force clear production overflow on end turn to prevent the user from banking overflow by forcing ending their turn while the city has no production. That's a mouthful. So does the overflow go across multiple turns? So if hypothetically you actually had enough overflow production to build two things, will you build one thing on the next turn and then finish the other thing with the production overflow on the other turn? Or do you just lose it if it doesn't all go into one project? You lose it if it doesn't all go to one project because they zero it out at the end of your turn. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Kind of overkill, but then again. Yeah, that's pretty lame. They could have just <laughs> I know this is beating a dead horse from like months ago, but they could, they could have just made it so that you don't get the bonuses and then stop there. That would have been fine. Yeah, is that st- can you still do that if you're running like one of those policies that gives you 100% on units and then you overflow unit production? Do you still get the plus 100% production on whatever the overflow goes towards next? My impression was that was patched. So you can't like whip a wall or a chop a wall, sorry. <laughs> this has been around for a while, as you might guess. So you yes. can't like chop a wall and then like build a, a ship faster because of it. Okay, because that used to be an issue. Yeah, that used to be a meta thing and very strong in Civ Six. But yeah. like as soon as they patched that out, I don't see what was wrong with overflow at that point. I don't know why they had to like do this kind of stuff where now your your production just disappears. I That's, don't know. That, that actually makes it more micromanagement intensive because yeah, I mean players can quote unquote bank overflow. Although it wouldn't have any modifiers on it, so I don't see the issue by having no build in a city. So at worst, somebody is storing production for a future tech. That, that's maybe a balance issue, but it's also a micromanagement and balance issue when players who are like not spoiled on the fact that they will lose production will lose production without knowing it because they put a unit with too small of a cost in the queue. Yeah. Uh, and that then you also have to be mindful of that all the time if you're really trying to micro-optimize. So the, the current model is less simple and it is harder on inexperienced players to understand what is going on and it takes more effort to optimize. Yeah, that was my I was thinking that too, that new players coming into this are gonna not understand why they're losing stuff, especially if they're yeah, starting to learn to micromanage and you know, first learning that and starting to calculate, but why didn't I get this? My yeah. best guess is that they don't want you stockpiling the production in order to start another wonder later, because, you know, then that would possibly give you an unfair advantage. That's the best thing I can think. Yeah, that's true. There's no, like, easy out here, because either you're going to get losses of production that aren't really justified, unless you micro very carefully, or you're you're going to get this, where they can uh, overflow production for something that hasn't been built yet. And even just force ending a turn with nothing in the queues, you could store hammers that way. You could then leave a city with no production while you research the tech for a wonder and then pick the wonder and apply a lot of production to it. So I can see why they did it, but I think the cost is more than the benefit of that choice. Yeah, I remember that being a big strategy in Civ 3 was like, wait till you were one turn away from building a wonder that you didn't care to have and then just let the AI beat you to it. 
and then that would carry over and you could just spend it on a wonder that you do want and finish that wonder in like one turn. Hello, Leonardo's workshop. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. We remember that one from good old days. One of the most broken wonders and say, but not the most broken. Not quite. Most of these bug fixes are pretty minor, I think. Or, oh, production transfers by uh, unit Q stuff, yeah. Yeah. And then in the gameplay section, pillage units now only cost 25% as intended instead of their full production to repair. Thank you. You mean districts? Yes, districts. What did I say? Units. Oh. I apologize yet again. I should not be... Does this also count for disasters that pillage the districts? That that would be a big improvement. I think so, yes. Okay, so that was just a bug, right? That was a bug, apparently. (laughs) It's hard to tell sometimes, but okay, that's good. That's good. Fixed a bug where pillage districts would not regain applied bonuses upon repair. Also, thank you very much. Mm, Yes. Yay, we might actually be able to repair pillage districts in a reasonable amount of time. Yay! Kokui's bonus ability from the Mapuche is now permanent on units so that it remains even after the government is removed or governor is removed from the city. Pillage dams no longer work like real like unpillaged dams to prevent flooding. Swapping units operation was ignoring the ZOT Z zone of control state of the units, giving you the possibility of an extra move for a unit within the ZOC. That's pretty sneaky, actually. You want to be able to get to sneak a unit past the zone of control if you have a scout sitting there. Not gonna lie, I've done it before. <laughs> Fixed an issue preventing units from having the appropriate ability from attacking twice in a single turn. Don't apply grievances if a player conquers a city-state you have never met. Uh, yeah, thank yeah, you. Thank you. No map hacks, please. <laughs> Prevent Wilfred Laurier from taking exploitive random agenda. Also a good plan, considering his national thing eject walk rock bands from a player's territory when they adopt music censorship also thank you so they don't get stuck because i imagine they can't move if they're stuck in there myris's heal after kill ability was being incorrectly applied multiple times oh <laughs> that would explain a few things polish polish hussar pushback ability was not working correctly so presumably now it is i would assume it is Air units can no longer attack plots marked as impassable. Was somebody trying to attack a mountain? I yeah. guess the game would let you, which you wouldn't want to do. Yeah, that's what they fixed, well, I think. I mean, could you use that to attack and pillage a ski resort? I don't think you can pillage ski resorts. Does this also apply to nukes? Because this might be inconvenient if you have like a circle of enemy units around a mountain or something. I never thought of that. That could be a problem. Let's see. Fixed Not common, in- but... Fix an issue with military unit buildings not properly applying their bonuses. Like, why do you build military buildings if they don't do what they're supposed to do? I guess for extra resource hoarding. Well, probably because the units were never marked as having those, you know, experience bonuses. So it was nearly impossible to tell whether or not it was working. Yeah. Yeah. Now they notice that it isn't. Something. Well, I think last patch they fixed. They said they fixed that thing by mentioning that they had fixed something else in the same area. They said that they, these things are now tracked on the unit, but apparently they weren't being tracked on the unit. I don't know. It's confusing yeah, it's- because, like, we're, I think they've discovered that. Well, maybe they didn't discover that. Maybe they've known this all along, but they've discovered that. Oh, hey, look, we've got this really complex system that needs like five fixes on five different things in order to fix a single uh, single bug 
and they're just kind of figuring out where they missed stuff. Solid, solid. And it's always amazing how many other bugs you'll notice when you actually have like a use- useful and informative UI that, you know, tells you useful information. Yeah. There's actually like that's an important part of the game. Weird. There's actually a um I forget it's it's either an axiom or like a law in the computer science field, software engineering where the more bugs a program has, the more likely it is to have more bugs. <laughs> And that sounds weird, but... I know, but it's... Okay, it's an odd analogy. But it's like the race thinking about cautions make more cautions. Yeah. Except it's (laughs) it's not even... It's not that the bugs cause more bugs. It's that because it has more bugs, it's more likely to have even more. Because apparently, if you build something and you find a lot of bugs in it, you're more likely to find more bugs because the programmer was apparently bad. It's a simple application of base theorem. I don't see why this is so... It's counterintuitive to people on the outside, I think. To people who've never looked at some spaghetti code, it's like, what do you mean? But then again, I would also like to say that uh, if you have a program that you think has no bugs in it, that's probably because you're not noticing a lot of very bad bugs. Yeah, there, there's, there's, um, a, there are lots of axioms about that too, but that's beyond the purview of the ch- of today's topic, I think. Basically. Programs have bugs in them. That it just happens. And sometimes your familiarity with the program makes you overlook things you think that's just how it is, but it is actually a bug. And then you put it in front of your end users, and then the end users go, um, why is this doing this? Or sometimes even just another programmer, and they're like, hey, why does this thing do this thing that way? And you never, you know, thought about it. And then you try to explain it to them, and then you're like, oh, yeah, that wouldn't work in that one case, would it? I I just re- re- recalling some very interesting things that happened in my software engineering course. Oh dear. I'm recalling certain developers deciding that bugs aren't bugs or vice versa. Depending oh. on They're features, guys. Are they surprise well, that features? Uh, a good example is on Celeste, actually, which is a platformer, but it's possible to like dash through spikes. And that was originally not intended by the developers, but because it takes so much skill to do it, and they thought it was cool, they just decided, okay, that's a feature now. Yeah. <laughs> That's the good kind of bug becoming a feature. Yeah. And then you have stuff like um, Paradox's eight times planning bonus decay in Hearts of Iron, where you can still avoid that and manually control the units. But if you right click, you lose it. Like that should be a bug. But they decided that 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 was a good thing for their game because reasons. There's absolutely no justification for it. It reminds me of the UFO thing in Duck Game. Where if you have four players and three of them, fl- or while you grab one of them, flops dead, plays dead. The second one grabs them and then plays dead. The third one grabs the second one and then plays dead. And the fourth one grabs the third one. They start flying into circles and just ac- accelerating to the sky. It's hilarious. And uh, the developers were like, "That's really funny. I don't know why it does that. I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you found it. But I'm not changing it because it's it's hilarious." Like also, I'm not even sure where to start to fix this, so yeah. why not? <laughs> okay, back to Civ, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Fixed incorrect modifier being applied to no Royal Navy Dockyard. Okay, could you be more vague? Yeah, which modifier? Be. <laughs> <laughs> because England doesn't have enough problems. I mean, this is vague, but I'm sure they could be more vague. If I recall Instead correctly, in real life. If I recall correctly yes. England didn't actually score that badly in the Civ unique ability th- thread from last week. Our last show. Yeah, they're not predictive of actual Civ and ability strength. Just throwing that out there. They're fun to talk about, but yeah, 
Well, I don't think England is near anywhere near as bad as it used to be. But yeah, it's because like every patch that has ever come out for Civ Six, it feels like it has totally changed England's abilities. Well, yeah. Th- when they came I out with call them a good Civ, but the, yeah. I guess they're not quite bottom tier. I think Maybe. they're solid middle of the road. Mm, Maybe I'd, I'd put them a little below average still at highest, but okay, fair enough. Fix the colossal heads not providing to faith every two adjacent woods. So apparently they were supposed to give faith for every two adjacent woods instead of just for two adjacent woods. Hmm. Is that mentioned anywhere in the UI? I don't think it is. If it was, we'd probably know about it. It might have been something where maybe they buffed it because so many other improvements had come along since that were better and no one was using them anymore. I would agree with that. Unit abilities. Fixed missing test des- text description for the unit dr- bonus the unit drone unit bonus ability. Change drone unit cephalopedia description text to be more accurate. Has anyone ever built a drone? Yes, um, <laughs> but I upgraded it from a uh, balloon, I think. Well, then you didn't build it, you upgraded it. Yeah, but there's still, it still counts as having a drone. Fair and enough. And for the purposes of this particular entry, it shouldn't matter whether you built it or you upgraded it. You have a drone, so the text description for the drone unit bonus ability will be there. They did the same thing for the observation balloon. Fixed unit ability description... Range bonus on Observation Balloon. Changed Observation Balloon Civilopedia to be more accurate. Fixed description for Supply Unit Movement Bonus Ability. Supply Convoy. Supply Convoy. Someday I will learn to read, I promise. I'm learning. Um, I'm I'm taking lessons every day. Awesome. Miscellaneous bug fixes. Transfer canal navigation properties on City Capture. I... Didn't know that was broken, but that's kind of hilarious that canals <laughs> stopped working when you captured the city. No, this is still territory of the people I took it from. Wait, hold up. I, I guess you bombed it out, except for the other people can still go through. Yeah. Speaking of, yeah, speaking of canals not working in funny situations, I had a game uh, like a month ago where I built the Panama Canal, and like the turn after I finished the Panama Canal, another stage of global warming happened. The sea level rose, and one of the tiles that the Panama Canal was on flooded, and the Panama Canal became unusable. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes, be- because wow. because it flooded. Uh, wouldn't that make it more usable? You just have a lake in the middle of your canal now. Well, that's impressive. Not exactly, because it's just adding a meter of water to it. So. It would basically just render all the equipment used to lower, raise and lower the stuff unusable. So I can understand why that would be, but it's still really and then, annoying. And then on top of that, I built the flood walls in that city. And even though it like fixed the other tiles that were flooded, like the other districts, it did not fix the Panama Canal wonder. So oh, the Panama goodness. Canal was just useless for the rest of that game. That is probably something that should be added to the... Uh, that should be put on the bug list. You might want to make a, a... Do you still have the save game for that? I, I do, and I've been intending to do that. It's just something that I haven't gotten around to doing. I, I was actually going to make a YouTube video about it. Uh, you know, just some funny, like, hey, look at this canal that flooded, and now I can't move boats through it because it has too much water in it, I guess. Uh, but I, it's something I just haven't gotten around to. I've been doing other projects. Mountain tunnels, Incan mountain tunnels, because I'm not pronouncing that without... I can't even pronounce the regular English words today. I'm not going to try to pronounce that. And ski resorts can no longer be destroyed or pillaged by natural disasters. Which oh, I, and mountains. I guess that makes sense, because how the heck would you repair them? If, uh, they're, if they're pillaged... Same way you, you built them, I guess. Like, if you pillaged them, you couldn't move onto the tile to fix it. 
Yeah, they'd have to make it so that you could pillage those from adjacent or can repair them from adjacent. Oh, and the art update. There's a couple of stuff. FOV, FOW, bend blending with river on overlay overpass. Nice. Uh, adjusted volcano visuals to feel more volumetric with royal rolling and boiling of lava. Added low quality version of volcanoes so that you don't overload computers. And add the game camera on the ski resort will now shake the snow. Why? Just cause. <laughs> snow globe effect. And then there's a bunch of modding stuff that we are not going to talk about because there's another show for that. If I ever finish editing their episode. <laughs> And now we will turn it over to Maggie because she has actually played this, but there was a new uh, scenario added for multiplayer. Yeah, Red Death, which is sort of like for anybody who's ever either played or seen uh, like PUBG, it's where you have a safe zone and a not safe zone. And in this case, you're moving civ units around on the map. And from the game I've played, uh, yeah, you better hope if you play a Pangea that it doesn't decide the safe zone is in the ocean, which will slowly eat you alive. I mean, that, that, it's just like Fortnite. <laughs> I guess they wanted a battle royale type of mode thing, and I think on a <clears throat> a more land based map, or, you know, maybe if you could get a landlocked map or like the lakes map or something, that would be a little bit more interesting because you'd have more places to go. But uh, I don't think on a heavy water map it would be too much fun because, well, the ocean is literally acid. It seems like because you lose health every turn you're in it. Yep. Uh, it's got different factions. They all have different abilities. Like the one I ended up with randomly actually fights better when they're just at the edge of the safe zone. You know, like they're, or even one, I don't think you want to go one hex into it because you lose health, but as long as it was, it was in three hexes of the safe zone. They those were the, a little bit. Those are the border lords. Yeah. The gothy border lord types. <laughs> so basically edge lords, but we can't say that because. <laughs> It is interesting, and I'd like to play some more games of it, honestly, to see, you know, to, to try it out more, because it seems like something different, but still using Civ, and it's a different type of strategic thinking when you're moving around and trying to acquire more units and gather your settlers and fight off the other players. Are they settlers? Yeah, you get you settlers as your population. You can't settle a city, but you're protecting them, and that's how it determines your whether you win or lose. You have oh, to protect right. the settlers. Keeping your civilian units alive. Yes. The way you win is by being the last remaining player with a living civilian. Yeah, so you definitely have to go after everybody else, even though everybody the first few turns is usually like they don't attack because you haven't... Usually you're only starting with the one civilian unit and two or three attack units. So it's not until you get more, because like one of the camps you can get helicopters out of, which are quicker, and you're trying to scout at the same time and watching this thing narrow down into this little tiny area. How did your game go? I know you guys played a game of it last week, I think it was. Well, that's why I'm complaining about (laughs) Safe Zone in the Ocean. Oh, because it ended up in the ocean? Yeah, I think Monthar ended up winning that. I think it was just him and Grim left. It's basically the last couple of turns they were having to wait out in the ocean and it's like well you could attack but your units are so weakened at that point that you probably didn't even have a 50 50 chance and then they could attack you and it would be over quicker but so it's whoever had the most health in the, the zone narrowed down to only ocean now so when we were all exploring having to skirt around each other and it's like oh ooh, i see another pe- i'm going to back off just a little bit because you're kind of cautious you do it's not like in a regular civ game where you've got a city and you're producing units and you got a way to make more backup. You don't know if you're going to find more backup. This might be the only units you have and you don't want to waste them. 
So yeah, pretty much a set piece battle. Yeah, it does have supply drops in it, but unfortunately for us, but at that time it threw them in, they were already outside the safe zone. It's like, well, I could go get that, but then I'm going to die getting that. So what's the point of getting that? Uh, but it's because getting the map explored is really important because if that thing decides to drop, you got to be able to go and run for it and know where you're going and know that you're not going to run across. Oh, look, there's the other player with all their units. Whoops. But most of us did last until the part where we were all being forced into the ocean. I think only one person got knocked out early. I know it was fuzzy and I know who <laughs> knocked him out too. Oh, who did? I, for, I forget. It was right you. What? How did I do that? Remember, you <laughs> killed Fuzzy. I don't think I did it on purpose. No, you didn't do it on purpose, but it was you who did it. <laughs> it's been a week, listeners. <laughs> don't ask me to remember things from last weekend. Ah, It's okay. I, I just thought that was funny. That she's just forgetting that she massacred somebody. <laughs> just casually killing people. Here. It was the first time Fuzzy Fractal had been back for quite a while, <laughs> and you killed him. And he gets clapped by Mackie. She just goes out and really to destroy that's, him. That's, that's our version of hugging people? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard getting clapped so being described that way before. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we miss you. Now die. <laughs> Let's see. Apparently Polygon likes this move. They call it they called it in their article Civ Six's Battle Royale is a royal is a nuclear blast. But um bump. <sighs> Gaming oddity, so, or perhaps a piece of bandwagon jumping, but it still 10, works really well. So I, I'm curious, can this mode be played against AIs, or does it have to be played against other human players? I do not know. I have not gone in and tried that yet. I let think me it would... Let me see what a basic Google search says. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't play much I, multiplayer, so I have yet to try this out. I'm guessing that it's an issue of either a hard no or a soft no, rather than that yeah, the AI like, actually plays the, the game AI well. Going to, I mean, because even <laughs> in the scenarios we have, that takes some extra scripting for the AI to understand what it's supposed to do. And I'm trying to think, how is the AI going to understand this and not be completely crap at it? Yeah. All I'm seeing is a whole bunch of, oh, well, well Red Dead Redemption. Thanks. Um, <laughs> it looks like It looks like it's not possible now I mean, because that would make sense there are ai units in the game already but it doesn't look like you can like there's a quick there's a they added functionality for quick join actually because for a regular multiplayer game i think you could hypothetically just set all of the other players to be cpu controlled as opposed to human controlled and it effectively becomes a single player game yeah, i just I think- wasn't sure if they allow you to do that in this you you apparently can at least do hot seat because that's how Monthar got all the achievements. I guess I could start the game up and do it, but I'm recording and that might cause a problem. <laughs> yeah, that might cause a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah, Don't do it. It's, it's fine. Not a huge deal. It's a trap. Yeah, I, I do hate to be a negative Nancy, but uh, this, you know, does kind of scare me a little bit because I don't want to see Firaxis and Civ fall into the trap of chasing popular trends because that's a really scary, slippery slope. And there are a lot of popular trends in video games right now that I do not want to see uh, be added to Civ. Well, so, this, this one... Clothing from a loot box for the Civ leader. This one is a little bit different, because it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like they decided to do this intentionally. Apparently, this was one like art developer's like April Fool's joke, and they were like, huh, that's actually kind of interesting. Let's do it on the side, which is why it's not like a paid DLC. 
Yeah, that's the thing that does give me some optimism about it is that they're not charging anyone for this. So it, it doesn't come off as being, uh, you know, like some, you know, money making scheme sort of thing. But uh, like I said, I a little bit scared because, you know, it's a little bit of a slippery slope thing going on here. Uh, but I don't know. I haven't played it yet. So maybe if I actually get to play it, I'll like it. It apparently is like a 20 minute game ish. At least uh, that's what yeah, that it was- says. That was just my yeah. knee-jerk reaction when I read, oh, it's a battle royale in Civ. Ugh. There were a lot of people on Civ Fanatics, especially, that were a little bit worried by that. They're like, eh, it's not really Civ. I don't like it. Not sure if that was just they changed it now it sucks meme or if it was. <laughs> there are some Civ players who like won't play anything else, no matter what, pretty much. I know in my Civ 4 days, I wouldn't play anything but Rise and Fall of Civilization, but I was also weird, so. Well, to be fair, Rise and Fall was a good mod. Really yeah. good mod. So sad it was never released for Civ Five. I mean, I think the guy who did it is now like making his own game somewhere else, isn't he? Yeah, I, I know he had a web page set up where he had previews of uh of that mod for Civ Five with like, you know, screenshots and work in progress information. I just I don't think it ever actually got released. Like it he just abandoned it at some point eventually. Well, he was also doing a PhD, so yeah, I know he had very good reasons. Yeah, but, he totally has a pass on that. If I recall correctly, his PhD was actually about that that style of generated world gaming. I I wonder if I can find it. I don't know if yeah, huh. I probably can't read Italian, so it might not be easy. But um, I know that it was an interesting. He he wrote about how you can use procedural generation to make worlds that have stories in them. Like the the Dwarf Fortress phenomenon type thing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean some of my favorite games are you know procedural or uh, I don't I don't know if roguish technically counts as procedurally generated, but uh, you know you get an emergent story instead of a you know scripted one. A great example is uh, this War of Mine is you know one of my favorite war games, and it's just you know all about creating emergent stories. That's that doesn't seem like a real war game in terms of actual like the war game style, but it's also yeah. a, literally a game about war. So yeah, right, but from the point of view of the civilians behind the lines instead of the soldiers out on the front, which uh, you know just by itself is an interesting way to go. Uh, but the fact that it's also a really good game and you know tells compelling emergent narratives, uh, you know, is just icing on the top of the cake. Yeah. Okay. So. The Rise developer, Gabriello Trovato, he is currently publishing stuff in journals about guidance robot employment in a mall, like robot stuff. His most recent paper, published this month, is Design and Development of a Security and Guidance Robot for Employment in a Mall in the International Journal of Humanoid Robotics. So, he's up to big things. That is, that is some very cool and very scary stuff. Yes, I have uh, I have uh, images in my head of the Family Guy bit about uh, Ed 209 being the hall monitor at a public school. Apparently no one saw that. I did not see that. Guy. I do not watch that show. I don't like it. But then again, I don't watch any TV except the Nat Geo veterinary shows right now. And that was my mother's doing. How many, cow- how many times can you see a cow being pulled out of a cow's uterus when you're on, on broadcast TV? Not very many, I don't think. Well, I killed that conversation. What's next? (laughs) (laughs) Hard to come back from the cows there. Moo? Okay, you can actually... There we go. 
Okay, so next up we have OMG Anti-Cav are still really broken by a clue without. And this is just another look slash thread about the current state of anti-cavalry and it's such a spearman and pikes that line as you progress through the game. He does make a few good points that even era advanced um, anti-cav are still failing against melee, which is, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not as opposed to that, but it's, it's certainly an issue for them. They have no defense against ranged, so they tend to get peppered down and they're only marginal against enemy cavalry, uh, mostly because they don't zone a control to cavalry and they can't really run cavalry down. So cavalry, unless it attacks something near the sphere, can't really, it's not as easy to counter it. Oh, I don't think that's his argument, but they're, they're not, they're still, they're better than they used to be against their intended unit to counter, but they're still not great. And they're really weak against everything else, basically, because they can't handle ranged. Uh, they don't have enough base attack, nor do they close on range fast enough. So they just get annihilated by that. Uh, they're hard countered by melee. So, one of the things that I just want to say about uh, kind of almost in defense of the anti-cavalry line is that I, I do think it's a little bit unfair to just say that, you know, their role in the game is anti-cavalry. Because from my perspective, the role of the anti-cav units in the game is to just be the like default uh, melee unit that's available in a given era because it's the only melee unit that's, you know, after the classical era that's not dependent on a strategic resource. So That's if you don't true. have iron and you don't have uh, niter, then you're kind of stuck building anti-cav units. And because Gathering Storm changed the way that the strategic resources work, so you actually have to stockpile them and have multiple sources of them, I do feel like that added value to the anti-cav units because you can't just find one source of iron and supply an infinite number of swordsmen. Uh, if you are actually low on iron, then it might actually behoove you to build spearmen and pikemen, because if your opponent has pikemen and you're still rolling around with a bunch of warriors, you are going to be in trouble. Well, yeah, but pikes are storage a huge, huge gap. The issue with this is that it almost never happens in practice, because even though one mine of iron does not give you enough for infinite swords, it gives you enough to clog an entire front with like three to five swords with range behind it. And yes. that's actually, those, those two are actually easier and closer to each other technology-wise than the pikes would be. And, and I only bring that up because very early in my time with Gathering Storm, I did have a game in which I ignored building anti-cav units and I built a bunch of warriors and then could not find any iron. And uh-huh. Hungary uh-huh. rolled up on me with a bunch of pikemen and crossbows. And I still just had warriors and archers because I hadn't researched machinery yet either. and it I got demolished, and I learned that lesson early on. That oh, I guess maybe I probably should build some, you know, uh, you know, maybe going to the pikeman technology if I don't have iron is not complete crap like it was in you know previous versions of Civ Six. You know what though? Even in that scenario, you probably should have gotten machinery earlier. Oh yeah, I, I, I should have. Rather than because like range is much better defending like that than you would get from pikes. And swords are not great against crossbows, to put it mildly. They're going to get shredded pretty badly. Yeah, yeah, it was, I, it, I, have, yeah to, I have held off big invasions with just a handful of crossbows. So, yeah, yeah like I said, really it, was, um, it was still very early. It was like my second or third, you know, game that I started up on Gathering Storm. So I was still learning all of the new stuff in it and, you know, wasn't playing very well. So Hungary just made this totally surprise opportunistic attack 
and I just got absolutely destroyed, had to abandon that game. And I did learn a lesson that, okay, maybe anti-cav are more valuable in Gathering Storm than I was giving them credit for. My point is that's not the lesson, though. The lesson is to not neglect all your military attacks. Yeah, well, I mean, that's true, too. But yes, you are right. Uh, crossbowmen would be better than having a uh, pike. Does one preclude the other? I guess it no, kind of does. Well, temporarily, because you have to pick what you're researching. And if you're intending to hold off an attack, uh, you have to, you do have to commit uh, to either first the crossbows or first the pikes. And the crossbows are much, much better in a defensive situation than the pikes. And arguably in an offensive situation as well, especially against AI. So they're just a better unit to have. I mean, Definitely. you need something to take cities eventually. So, but the the point though that I was trying to make horse, is then... is that you you don't necessarily have to think of the anti cav units as being anti cav units. You could also think of them as the you know resource non resource requiring melee unit that you build in default if you just need melee units and you oh, can't yes, build such a liability in that in that usage uh, case. I mean, I might build one to like take the city with it if I literally have no resources. And I'm just taking out a city with like catapults or archers or whatever. Okay. Or if you just really need something with zone of control to, you know, hold a a particularly, you know, like a a mountain pass or something. like. I guess uh, maybe in multiplayer, but I can't imagine you'd survive in multiplayer if you don't have many strategic resources. And against AI, that's just not going to be a thing. Or maybe, maybe you can put two of them next to each other in a kind of choke situation just so your archers have time to to bring everything down the ai is pretty bad about tandem attacks and whatnot if you're on defensive terrain well, if you're on defensive terrain they can't do anything really yeah well in that case they can if you're like using an archer or something so that that would be one justification for maybe building spears or pikes at some point in the game it's just in all the games i've played i've never had to do it so i i think they are in a bad place just because in practice it's got to be less than 10% of games where they're even useful. <laughs> I, I guess maybe where I'm kind of going is is maybe we are looking at it the wrong way. Maybe the issue isn't necessarily that the anti-cav are bad. Maybe the problem is just that like ranged units, crossbowmen in particular, are too strong. Maybe if they were nerfed, then anti-cav would be better the without necessarily having units, to make the anti-cav better. All these units balance against each other. So right now, ranged is not that impressive against the uh, the melee line, especially once they start taking promotions that reduce their effective combat strength against melee. And ranged is also not so hot against mounted, either light cavalry or heavy cavalry, because those things can just run down and attack the archers, and <laughs> ranged does not have good defense in melee against mounted or uh, or anything, really. Yeah, so, it, it depends on how you're using them. If you're trying to use the ranged units to kill the uh, you know melee and cavalry units, then yeah, they're not really strong enough to do that. But Civ Six also has a pretty strong uh, combat bonus against wounded units. So one of the ways that you could treat it is you use your ranged units to soften them, you know, deal damage, so that then you get that bonus with your melee units. And it it would just be you know a different way of going about thinking how you use mixed units tactics. Yeah, that mostly works on defense, but it is, it, it's useful, but your enemies can do it too, of course, since ranged also don't take resources, and that, that just still leaves you with the problem. You want the tankier units in front then, and that's going to be melee in right. almost every case, and by melee, I mean specifically the uh, warrior swordsman line. Right, but I, I think the problem that Fraxis has run into with this situation is that because the other units require resources 
and pikemen don't like yeah you know you're you, you've got to thread a really fine line here where if it's too powerful then or too good then uh i mean why bother with strategic resources just build 100 pikemen and you know you're fine right yeah for sure so yeah it, it, I, I want to acknowledge that it is you know a, a difficult place to be and they're kind of in between a, a rock and a hard place with this one where yeah, they don't require a resource, so they have to be worse than all the other units, ar- arguably, except for the uh, you know actual cavalry units that they're supposed to be the counter for. But because they're also just the default melee unit, they're you know not just anti-cav units. Like if there was, you know, like Civ Four had like the swordsman and like the what was it like the maceman the and axe. the axeman, right? Like they axe had like mayfly. yeah, they had the anti-cav, and then they had a melee unit, and then they have like an anti-city melee unit if i recall correctly there was like a siege only at first and then it converged because yeah upgrade for both the axe and the sword was the mace right so i I, no, there's no swordsman equivalent in the medieval era it's just right so i I almost feel like in in civ 6 that's what's missing maybe civ 6 like actually needs like a mace unit or something like that that is the default melee unit and then the pikemen are specifically anti-cav and are actually good at being anti-cav and then the swordsmen are, you know, anti-siege or whatever, or not anti-siege, but are, uh, can, are siege units. I think you can make a case for going the opposite direction. Early game resource dependency on strategics can be pretty cancerous to the point where it can be a game-altering thing. Much less so than later in the game where you have some time to tech, uh, expand, and source this stuff. And you can trade. And there's all. not really much historical justification for iron in particular being so limited. Uh, there aren't too many examples of nations that knew the technology to make iron that did not have access to it in one way or another. Almost all of them so. are exclusively island nations. Yeah. Iron is pretty much everywhere. That's why it's 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 everywhere, but it's harder to make. And that's why it took longer to get. Yeah. So there, there's some like the distinction between swords and spears as a resource dependent unit is somewhat arbitrary, especially as you get into pikes like. Pikes being resourceless while swords and uh, <laughs> swords and muskets aren't is a little odd. To put it what do you think on the end of those pikes? Metal. Or what, what are they wearing too? Like yeah. they're not just in like gambeson <laughs> anymore. Like that they're yeah. apparently wearing armor. So <laughs> yeah, I've advocated in I've advocated in the past that I would not mind seeing like pretty much every unit in the game requiring some resource or another. That's another route you could go. I just think early on when the expansion is so constrained and you don't know what's, where stuff is yet, it might be better for gameplay normalcy. Do you have like your first set of units that you unlock not require a resource, but then as you progress, like, okay, now you do need Niter to fire your guns. Well, or, I mean, arguably like, that is the warrior, archer, and spearman. But Yeah, yeah but the, <laughs> the way what it plays out in practice, I, I feel like you could go up a, a notch on those. Especially on quicker game speeds, where they're like obsolete, like ten minutes in. Yeah, maybe, they're obsolete before you can fight effectively. Maybe yeah, what but- we need is an amplitude or Alpha Centauri style Civ or Civ unit uh, all upgrade table where you can add mo- metal units to any unit. Oh, there you go. Then you just have a melee class, and whether they're good against uh, mounted or not depends on what you're giving them. That's true. That was intended <laughs> as a joke. It would be way too. It would be way too much in be, a Civ game. It'd be hilarious. I mean, you could make it work in Civ. I I don't know that you'd need that in Civ. But the last time like we had that was Beyond Earth. 
Beyond Earth kind of did that, and it was okay. I didn't love it, but it wasn't bad. Yeah, like out of all my criticisms from Beyond Earth, that wouldn't even come to mind. Like it wasn't, it, it didn't make it get a great game or something, but it didn't detract from it significantly, in my opinion. I think it was a solid, not bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then again, that's my opinion of the whole game. So who knows? Yeah, I didn't hate it as much as other people did. It's, yeah, I actually thought it's the expansion not good to play all the time. Yeah, I actually either. thought that the expansion was good. Rising Tide. Yeah. I think it was a good game. It just didn't have enough flavor to make it memorable. Plus, they had some good ideas that were only um, executed in a mediocre fashion. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. And and also, uh, you know, Beyond Earth just got a lot more tedious than Civ Five did. And uh, that didn't. They 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 reduced the they reduced the the uh, crap. What is it? Brain behave the resource system so that you no longer had luxury resources all you had were like regular resources that did something for tiles and such mm, yeah well it's been since Civ 4 since we've had health so there's that well yeah but health and beyond earth was totally just happiness and a different guise yeah yeah for sure. and, and housing Civ 6 operates almost identically to uh health and Civ 4 so mm, more like yeah. health and Civ 3 no, it's true. Housing in Civ Six is pretty close to health in Civ Four. There's a lot of similarities, including the soft cap effect. I mean, the only real difference is that you don't improve your housing by having a variety of food resources, and you don't your yeah. citizens don't actually get sick from not having enough housing. But it's you know it's just a check on population. Well, it ultimately, when your citizens got quote unquote sick, it just made your food less effective. <laughs> and so it it, it's, it's very very similar in effect to housing. Yeah, and it kind of solved its own problem. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's time for the next topic. Yeah, I mean, there's yes. been a lot of discussion on like how you would make the anti-cab better in the thread. I I don't know about zone of control for cavalry, for example, because then you're going to make you're going to swing cavalry to like the lowest tier unit in a heartbeat that way. Uh, but some people like that idea, and there's there's just a lot thrown around. But I don't know that you can fix this easily as long as the this is the only non resource melee option that you have throughout the game right yeah again because if if everybody is just building pikemen by default right if that's the default option and they are just they completely like make cavalry non-viable then yeah no one's going to build cavalry yeah and if they're even if they're more viable against enemy melee now the resources go from being like crucial to unimportant which like if we're gonna do that, I'd rather do that by design in one era and then introduce the need for resources to progress at some future point rather than making a bunch of units that are in effect useless because the uh the resources limit unit is too good <laughs> so yeah there are some fundamental problems here, and we're probably going to have to see a rework of, in some capacity uh for this disparity to uh change yeah, there either needs to be a complete rework of like all of the unit balances or there needs to be like new classes of units added to, you know, fill the gaps that, you know, making pikemen more niche would leave behind. But yeah, does anyone else have anything else to say on uh on anti-cab? I do not. Okay. Well, then in that case, we have another thread on Civ Fanatics by user Risky, Risky, R Y S K I. Uh, titled oh no i got dot 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 as my neighbor and uh i did think that this originally was going to be like a gameplay story about starting a game like 
right next to, you know, Montezuma and Alexander and uh, Genghis Khan and just like it being totally crazy. But it's not something like that. It's basically just asking what uh, civilizations do you hate starting immediately adjacent to? And uh, for the original poster, it looks like uh, their choice is Russia. Uh, They say that Russia always seems to be just a little bit stronger than them, no matter what they do or go after. Uh, They also have that problem of stealing a lot of your good land, but uh, they don't bring that up. Uh, So he's just asking other users what they think. And uh, me personally, I actually don't know that in Civ 6, I have like any one specific leader that I just hate starting next to. Uh, You know, I I always, and a big part of that is because when I see those leaders that I know are highly aggressive, like I make a very concerted effort to build a large military to either deter them or to conquer them before they actually become a threat. Uh, Montezuma in particular, like if I see him, uh, I know that he's just going to spam uh, at in, as an AI anyway. I know that he's just going to spam the Jaguar warriors and that I can take those down really easily with uh, ranged units. And that's what I do. And I'm usually able to conquer Montezuma if he starts next to me, like very early in the game. So he doesn't become as big of a threat. Like Alexander is maybe the biggest one because I have he has a track record for me of backstabbing me. Uh, but I don't really have any one specific leader that, you know, just really gets on my nerves when I uh, when I see them in a game. How about the rest of you? Well, I don't think I really hate any of the ones, but starting next to Warmonger, you always have that thing in the back of your head. I should go for them first. But the non-obvious one that you should go for first is Korea, because she texts way too well. Because this has even happened in our multiplayer games where Korea is an AI. We're busy with the other AIs. We think, oh, we can get Korea later because she's not an obvious warmonger or anything like that. And then she's teching better than the human players. And it's like, oh, crap. She has advanced units and we don't. Well, uh, yeah, we're just going to call the game done now. <laughs> you can kill more advanced units with a great general and some cores I know, but, the, but usually she's like the last one and it's already getting late. And it's like, do we really want to slog through this at this hour? Eh. Okay, so my annoying ones are going to be similar to end cages here. Um, I don't like seeing America, because on Deity, they get plus four, and then America gets another plus five for being on his own continent, which might also be your continent. And that can be really rough early on. Mm-hmm. I hate seeing Scythia. The unit spam is real uh, that early in the game <laughs> on high difficulties. Uh, Nubia is also a big problem for obvious reasons. Uh, Murder uh, archers. Spam is already a, an issue if you're trying to fight them, and if they're stronger and faster and there's more of them it's not a good time uh so those come to mind immediately and also i don't like being near congo early because if they get a hankering disorder rush you mm, it's not that you can't fight it off but it's a lot worse because your range does so little to it so he also those gets ones an- i really don't like he can also be annoying because he's going to pop up and nag you every few turns about why you haven't spread your release. <laughs> yeah that's the other thing yeah. that's what can start the war literally yeah, and it's it's pretty vexing to try to go for a religion on deity. So there's a good chance I'm not going to have a religion, and he's just going to do this like me. Uh, so I, I have fought him and beat him on deity, but I really don't like seeing him. Uh, I don't think he's as bad as some of the others I've mentioned, but he comes to mind because I've had to deal with it a few times, and it's never fun. Still, rather see him than Scythia, though. But well, at least in the future, you know, Scythia's healing will not be so crazy. Yeah, well, and I didn't tend to lose a lot of units to her, but she just produces so many units uh, that it's hard to turn it around on an offense on her. It's a huge drain on your economy because you have to build so many units to counter it. Yeah. 
And even once you start killing them, it just like the whole process takes longer. And that can be very costly. And they just keep coming and coming and coming. Yep. Yeah, no bueno. Not do not like seeing her early on. Or rather, if I can't if I do see her early on, I would prefer not to fight her. I hate Alex for yelling at me to go to war. <laughs> Why you no fight? Why you no fight? Why you no fight? Because I'm happy with my eight cities that I stole from you. I don't need more. Oh, yeah. And then the turn after you make peace with someone who you just like totally clobbered. Alexander's like, bro, why aren't you at war? This is those times when you start talking back at the screen with vulgar words. (laughs) Gorgo is similar. She also just constantly nags you to be at war with someone, even if you just finished a war. It's effective, though, because usually my next war ends up being one of them. You you want a war? You want a war? Here's a war. Here's a bleeping war for you. And they have mixed feelings about that. <laughs> yeah, they mean, wait, not me. Eh, well, you asked. You volunteered. Yeah. Yeah. Cyrus is also kind of annoying. Oh, yeah, somebody else who can also tech a little too well. Chandragupta is obnoxious. Just, he's always, he always hates you if he's right next to you. I remember uh, Dan got killed by him once in a game I was playing with him. <laughs> That's unfortunate. It's happened to me. I am a little bit surprised that I'm not seeing anybody on this thread bring up Samaria and uh, Warcart rushes. They did mention Samaria. They say they love having him next door because he's easy to make you ha- make happy with you. So he becomes yeah, like your... you can't rush him out, but he's one of the more consistent ones to to prevent attacking you as well. He yeah, just... that's what I was going to say. Is he's 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 friendly. He likes he he's basically your best bro. So yeah, you just you just stay with him and don't. I piss him off, and he'll be he'll be with you till the end of the game, or until you pick the different government. Until you finally betray him. Another sieve that um, I don't I don't necessarily worry about them because they're uh, going to um, conquer me or anything. Like I don't feel them to be threatening, but they're just kind of annoying. Is uh, Polynesia in Civ Five and the Maori in Civ Six because <laughs> they're they Do will you want just, cities in the middle of your cities? <laughs> yeah, city cities will just pop up in weird random places, and it's like, oh my goodness, I was gonna settle near there. Now I have to declare war on you and raise that dang city so I can put my own city in a place where it's actually usable. I got killed that way recently on DD. Well, not recently, a couple months ago. Um, because I already had AIs near me, and then the Maori came in, and then use their starting settlers uh, to box me in. So I could only get like one more city down. And then one of the AIs early rushed me. And even though I could fight that off, it, it slowed down my growth curve so much that I couldn't fight off the loyalty pressure from the other civs. And I got flipped out of existence. That was really annoying. Right. And you can have those situations where you've already explored your starting continent. You have like the, the your sphere of influence is kind of like cemented and walled off. So you don't have to worry about the other civs crossing your territory and settling in within your sphere of influence. And then bam, all of a sudden a Maori <laughs> city out of nowhere on your coast. And you're like, Oh, come on. Yeah. Somebody well, wants to be battling rammed. Usually. Well, this is called why I, I like playing them. Cause then I don't have to worry about that. I'm the one putting the cities everywhere. Not necessarily another, everywhere. Another one that is dangerous to look after, uh, look out for is going to be uh, Hungary because of those uh, levying city states. That can Ooh, also yeah. be a situation where you can uh, you can think you're secure, and then you know he flips a city state or two on you, and suddenly you've got like a two or three front war going on. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, where did all this come from? Yeah, those are boosted units, so it's not a good time. Boosted combat strength and movement. So yeah. Yeah, I wonder if it's any uh, uh, co- any um, 
coincidence that Austria and Hungary in Civ Five and Civ Six were the city-state stealers, <laughs> given their their unified history. Probably not a coincidence. Just a little bit of extra spicy flavor, so you can sit there and yell at the screen because they did the thing. We have any more to say on this topic? I mean, there's always the "I hate everybody because they steal my land" thing, but that's boring. <laughs> Or, I hate the barbarians because they can't be reasoned with, and insert Terminator quote here. Yes, there is. I will say that I don't think there is any single civilization that will annoy me as much if they show up as my neighbor, as much as having like two or three barbarian camps all spawn within like 10 tiles of my capital. Yeah, that is more annoying. Even if it's like not more of a threat, it's certainly more annoying. Okay, totally not take two of the outro that I was trying to do and then realized I was muted. Uh, thank you for joining us today on Polycast episode 345. I am Kenneth Albanus, and I have been joined together in this room of chat with Makalua. There's definitely caffeine o'clock somewhere. The me and team. Mistakes were made. And Mega Bears fan. Because I like playing my multiplayer games in single player. It's fun until you run out of singles to play. Wait. Can it swipe left? I actually don't know what that means. I think soon it has to do with the dating site. <laughs> I, I've never actually used the site where you do that, but it just came no. to mind. The way you yeah, said. I haven't either, but hashtag Tinder things. I don't even know if, I don't know if swiping left or right is good. One of them is good and the other one isn't. And we'll leave that to be discovered in the comments down below, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy maybe we don't want to discuss that on a Civ uh-huh. yeah uh, don't discuss this on Civ Fanatics they will probably be upset with us oh, they just mark it as off topic that's true put it in the YouTube comments that'll be easier oh boy we're, we're well on our way to having quality YouTube comments at that rate oh boy this is going to sound really bad isn't it Civilization 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6 sound clips copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the Polycast at thepolycast.net.